Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You've reached your host, Lorraine Neidhart, at Venus Unplugged. And what we do here is discuss uh, particularly the archetypal Venus and Eros, the god of relationship and relatedness and uh, beauty. And also Venus includes truth and beauty, um, not just in the physical form, but certainly in the moral and ethical form. And what is the principle of relatedness? What we've been doing the last couple of weeks is exploring the uh, notes on uh, the lectures on Ion, Jung's book Ion, A-I-O-N, and these are kind of like the cliff notes uh, by Barbara Hanna and, and von Franz that did some lectures on this. So this is just to kind of stir some interest in how these archetypes work, what is happening in our lives because they are ruling us. Well, I know the ego believes it's doing a great job, and on many levels it is. But what's the real kingpin is the unconscious, is psyche. And um, I heard a quote yesterday, and I thought, oh, isn't this glorious? I try to say this every single day. And uh, they didn't say who it was by. Um, but we have all been sent here for, uh, from a foreign country with a message from a king, and we are supposed to deliver that message. I think it was Milton, not sure. So that's a very important thing to understand, particularly now, since so much is occurring in the world, both internally and externally, that we're couriers with a message sent by a king. That's pretty important stuff. And I think there's been enough spiritual exploration and maturity to really begin to understand that it's not asking the universe for what we want, but it's in service to the universe. There's going to be a big shift in focus and spiritual consciousness and focus and because everybody's growing. And like uh, children first, it's like, uh, please give me because I need help and I'm little and i got to grow and I don't know how to do this. Help, 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 help. And then suddenly there is a maturity for some. doesn't have to be everybody. That's the interesting part. It just takes like a small group of people to bring consciousness and shift into the culture, and that is what is happening. The appearance are horrendous, but underneath that is a huge shift in the culture towards maturity. That's why everybody's a little bit on their ear. And we have a tendency, we as in the human race, have a tendency to prefer the immaturity because we're attached to the ego and the ego thinks it's God or the king. And uh, so we're watching some, um, I guess, high chair tyrants. And we're really observing it in the horror, besides just the bad manners. The horror is to watch immaturity. It's like watching the ego on crack. And the thinking, the faulty thinking, we shan't even mention feelings, because that's just too terrifying. So that's what the world is looking at. 
so being able to look at that and go, wow, that's the price of not growing? Really? Which is part of the reason why I, I do this radio show, because, you know, I've studied now what, God, must be almost 40 years, and uh, and deeply and seriously and initiations and many, many things. I've lived this fully and will continue to live it because I feel it is of great value and, and never stop studying and learning and becoming. And then I thought, well, where, where, where am I going to take it? So I um, speak extemporaneously every Monday or sometimes other days uh, on uh, these things of soul and psyche. So it's my my gift, so to speak. So we're couriers, we're messengers sent by a king. And we're starting to be able to understand uh, not what the universe wants for us. is to be in service. That's what it wants, is to be in service to the universe and to fulfill our tasks so the universe can continue unfolding according to its nature. And this book, Ion, which is really one of his, you know, read the masters. To, you know, it's wonderful, all everybody's interpretation. But, you know, go, go, to, go to, if you're interested in the youngest, sometimes it's like rock soup. But, you know, it's like, what? But that's okay. It's your your psyche and your way of thinking because it's expanding you. Uh, because also psyche starts kicking up, so you're not you're not in it alone. She's always like, yes, listen, listen. Okay, because great ideas are always paradoxical. That's why literature is so helpful uh, in in becoming. So it's like, what is it that wants to come into this world? through you. So whether we're called or summoned, uh, because as the fate, as it were, can be extremely rude when it's time for us to wake up, and it is. So it's time to wake up, and everybody's been waking up, but now it's really uh, a call forth to contribute. And, and that doesn't mean some super-duper, you know, uh, superpower specialty or anything. It's, sometimes it's just this, just being a decent human being and having some manners and helping your neighbor and or being kind. Uh, but strong. Kindness isn't weak. Because when you can really recognize what psyche or the soul is saying as opposed to what the ego is saying, it is astounding. Uh, the grace and wisdom one can develop in the face of morons. So uh, we're going to be doing some reading here. Synergy, that's the anima and animus, uh, which is within the male, is the, the divine or heavenly woman, that's the anima, and within the female is the animus, which is the man of uh, wisdom, so to speak, all right? Now, it's very interesting because shadow, which everybody's kind of bantering around, is, uh, and we never get over the shadow. It's not, I've had people say that to me, oh, no, no, I, I did the shadow. 
did a workshop on the shadows. I really could look with that because it's like following you around. It's much bigger than you could imagine. So the shadow isn't necessarily negative. It's what we don't know. People can have shadow material in their creativity. They don't know they have a great talent. Or even a little bit of talent. Forget the great talent. Just just a little, itsy bitsy little bit of talent that they should have some fun with and play with. That may be the source of healing for them or joy for them. Laughter is the best healing. So, you know, find some one or something that makes you laugh. And, of course, the thing when we're amongst our friends are the things that make us laugh the deepest and the hardest very often have shadow material in them because we all know that yeah, but for the grace of God go I. We all have that little trait that we laugh at, at being human. And, of course, laughter is Aphrodite. She's the golden one, the laughter one. Okay. So the shadow must be realized before we can see the animus and anima. Those two figures are very tricky, and that's the the war on love uh, between couples. And it doesn't have to be romantic couples. It's any any uh, opposite, any male female dynamic. Uh, you're at risk, <laughs> but it's also fascinating because you go that whoa, did that person just say that? And then if you start to realize, oh, yeah, but, man, I really let the, the animus uh, loose there. Uh, we, we know it because we, we walk away wounded or defeated or what just happened. Right? It's filled with opinion and beliefs that have nothing to do with truth. Okay, So the shadow must be realized before the animus and the anima can be made conscious. So meaning, just being able to say, you know, I have a shadow. There there are things that I don't know about myself or the things that I do that certainly um, your enemy or your loved one is more than happy to, to point out. Maybe not to the degree that they experience it, but certainly it's there a little bit. And, uh, <clears throat> that's just how we're made. So when we can see anybody who can't accept that they're capable of great error, they're filled with with ego or the anima and animus, and it's, it's not going to it's not going to help. Now, very often, hopefully, if they blow up, they'll reflect. Like, you know, that was a little intense response. Uh, then we have to say, okay, what what was the shadow? It's not punishment. It's fascinating. And you want command? You want to be sovereign in your own life? Self-ruled? Well, you have to know all the kingdom. And if you don't know all the kingdom, or at least that it's there, because there are so many rooms to psyche that we'll never get near or touch, uh, so this is what makes it such an eternal uh, path. So it doesn't have necessarily a conclusion or an end. It's the path without end because it's you. You. 
have a message from a king that needs to be given. We need to remember and also be smart enough not to get burnt as the messenger. That needs a little diplomatic, uh, and and we learn that when we, when see when we learn this or understand this or at least consider it as possible, we're much better at communication. We're much better at negotiating, and we're much better. It's like, oh, that's what they meant. Or there's this heartbreak if a man gets caught into his anima complex. He's having lunch with his mother complex. He doesn't even know you exist. And very often, he'll be accused of having an affair. He's not having an affair. He's with another woman, but it's his internal mother complex that he knows it not. When the woman is in the negative animus, she's judgmental and opinionated. She's absolutely right. There's no arguing with her. And very often it's cold and unrelated. Not very often. It is cold and unrelated. I was like, where are they coming up with this? We don't like to step into that because uh, we're not going to get any place. We're momentarily possessed by the complex. It comes up. As I said, though, the anima and the animals, they're, they're, they're shifting sands. It's very tricky. So we need to understand that there is a shadow, all right? And as the shadow needs to needs the relationship to a partner before we can realize it, so the animus and anima require a relationship to someone of the opposite sex because only in such a relation uh, can we see or suffer their effects. So we, we need friends of the opposite and and lovers and, and just all kinds of people. Because I, I, I know as myself sometimes, you know, two men will be talking and, it's, and I, I I just notice it. It's it's and I there's nothing I could say because there's nothing to say and just a glance or a word or a mm-hmm, I know volumes. An encyclopedia of information has just been transferred and transformed between the two of them. All in one, it's like, wow. And I don't belong there. I'm just astounded at the subtext. They know what, the same thing happens with women. You know, women will look at one another or will say something, and the man's like, what? No way. It's like, mm-hmm, yeah, right. So those moments... We don't even have a language for it. That's how profound it is. When there are no words, you know why? Because there are no words. We we haven't even brought it to consciousness to create a word. See, the thing about language is we have brought something up, or cultures before us, or our ancestors have brought up enough differentiation in vision and sound to create a word. That's why we're limited also in the colors that we see. There's thousands more colors that we see. We don't have a language for it. We don't have a word for it. So therefore we don't see it. But we see it. So we put it in a range of blue or green or whatever, what's familiar. And so we're always on the horizon of uh, becoming. And 
in that becoming is the task, the task of becoming. And that's one of the things that the universe and its infinite wisdom or the divine and its infinite wisdom wants for us. And so that's why the paradox of male and female were created and in completely different ways. And there's also when the male and the female or the animal and the animus come together, then what happens when there's some wisdom, then comes what's called the transcendent function, and we get the aha, the insight. And once that knowing is knowing, that becomes understanding, that becomes wisdom. And that's such an incredible moment in one's life and we keep it like forever because we do understand that person's not doing anything. They don't know. And if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, you have the right to point it out if you wish. All right? So I'm going to read a little bit here from um, Barbara Hanner and uh, who's one of my favorite Jungian first generation most of what I quote here um, and on the show is first-generation Indians. Uh, we need to go to the source. I love all the other stuff, too, but uh, it's always good to start with the classics. So, which this is her quote, and she doesn't, uh, she doesn't hold back, that's for sure. So this is the CGs, the animus and the anima. And although a good deal longer, this chapter contains one of the clearest descriptions of the animus and the anima that Jung has ever given. Now, that she, she's talking about Jung's book, Ion. The beginning deals with the mother complex and is so important that I translated it as soon as it came out in, in the German and lent it to all my devoted, devouring mothers and, and eaten sons who work with me. As a woman, I put it this way, but Jung makes it very clear that the guilt is very evenly divided between the two. The mother is far too anxious to keep the son wrapped up in cotton wool, and the son is always lamed by the remembrance of all she can do for him. Uh, now, sometimes what happens there is that nurturing didn't happen, but the fantasy of the mother, all-loving, good mother, fantasy takes over. It may not be a reality. Therefore, let me start this again. Mother is far too anxious to keep the son wrapped up in cotton wool, and the son is always lamed by the remembrance of all she can do for him. Therefore, he cannot stick to his efforts to conquer the resistance of the world, but always falls back on the hope that everything he wants will be given to him, as in his earliest days by the mother. And very often, a uh, male can get stuck in the puer eternus complex, the eternal boy. Uh, they don't usually get very much done. Uh, neither of them want such an unsatisfactory state of affairs, but all too often they are both entirely unknown to themselves, caught in the fascination of the um, sacred marriage, the old sacred image of the marriage of the mother and son, which is an ancient myth of um, Addis, okay? So the projection 
of the anima onto the mother can only be dissolved from the man's side when he can realize that the image in his psyche is not identical with the mother, but also includes the sister, the beloved woman, the daughter, and beyond these uh, mortal figures, the heavenly goddess and the cathodic Balbo. Balbo is the Sheena Nagi. Um, she's an interesting figure. Balbo, B-A-U-B-O. So this animal figure represents for him the loyalty which life often forbids him to keep with one woman, above all with his mother. And though the anima entangles him in life's most terrible paradoxes, it is yet the factor just because she is so dangerous. And that can draw out everything that is in him. She demands his greatest from a man. And if it is in him, she will also succeed in producing it. So the positive side of the animal uh, can bring out great creative genius in the man. But if she's pissed, uh, the man can't break from it. So we're not talking, you know, it's not mother bashing or father bashing. You know, that's just the beginning. That's like the first, remember, it's like it's like being with the divine and then suddenly we have a mother and father or something like that, you know, surrogate, right? And we, we carry the divine principle onto them, but, they're, you know, the greatest disappointment is the day you realize your parents are, you know, that your keepers are just human, frail and a little bit, Nutty at times, okay? And that takes a long time to get over that. It's like, what? I got stuck with a human being to take me, grow me up. Wow. Okay, so Jung says that uh, he purposely uses dramatic and mythological language in speaking of the anima, for she does not lend herself to rational scientific language. We often try to reason her away. It is true, but only to find, or at least to make it uh, very obvious to our environment, that we have fallen into her hands and that she has uh, possessed us from behind. Just while we were proving um, so conclusively that she is a mere theoretical formation. And that's what the animal does. And also, ladies, if you could just kind of look with other eyes and know when she's around in a man's life, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. A lot. Because you can go like, oh, okay. Boy, he, he just got caught. And and vice versa. You know, when the woman is carrying on as if she's speaking, you know, the new Ten Commandments, that's the negative animus. Opinionated and judgmental thinks it knows everything. You want to strangle her because it's like, wait, 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 get off the attitude. Oh, I have it on the greatest authority and you did this. Really? Now, if you don't have a strong enough sense of self, you know, you, you need the ego. It's, it's not God, but it certainly comes in handy. Uh, so very often these two complexes, they, they, uh, they fall in love. And then you've got some real potential for growth if you survive one of this uh, bomb throwing, right? 
So the anima is no invention of consciousness, but it is a spontaneous product of the unconscious. Now remember, we become conscious that we are unconscious. And the unconscious is huge as the universe, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, but it's spontaneous product of the unconscious, of t- and it's a terrifying kind of automatic floats. That's what alchemy is. You 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 draw these invisible forces and you work with them, hopefully. And is it's it's the balance in the psychology of woman by the figure of the animus, just as the mother is the first carrier of the archetype in men, so the father in women. The animus corresponds to the paternal logos. Logos means word, right? Uh, just as the anima corresponds to the maternal eros. Just as eros is less developed in men than logos, so logos often seems no more than a regrettable mistake in a woman whose true nature is relationship. It is uh, full of opinions instead of reflections and gives rise to endless misunderstandings in the environment. The animus is very partial to argument, and he can drive an originally clear-thinking man to such despair that he can even become the animus of his own anima. Hey, get that one. Do not become the animus of your own anima. That's tricky. Talk about piggybacking. And argue just like a woman himself. Not that the animus is the only sinner in this respect. The man can be equally annoying with his moods and the personal variety and touchiness of his anima. The animus calls out the anima and vice versa. If we could just hold on to that, that's how we get to know what's going on. The animus calls out the anima and vice versa, whether they fall in love with each other, and that's a special case of love at first sight, or indulge in the endless and fruitless argument. In both positive and negative aspects, there is always a lot of animosity in a relationship where predominantly an anima-animus relationship, and very often it runs its own course, and the human being does not know afterwards what happened to them. Consciousness has been held captive by the powerfully suggestive effects of an archetype. So it's like having an archetypal seizure. What got into me? Or I was beside myself. Well, when you're feeling beside yourself, guess who's taking over? So if we can just, you know, you don't have full clear consciousness with any of this. Stuff. It's like it's like peripheral vision, or you just get a sense and you silently watch it. Or observe it, and you can begin to differentiate. That's what psyche does in in, in the in um, the story of Amor and Psyche. Uh, she's given the task by Venus to sort these seeds, and this is what we do: we sort these little baby seeds. Okay, this goes over to here. That's the anima. That's uh, here's the shadow. Here's the ego. Here I am. So this is great work tedious but you've got a message from a king that's your task and sometimes the message is just becoming tr- 
truly human. We don't have to even say anything. It's just felt. Okay. And so here she says, it, uh, it is, as mentioned before, much easier to gain insight into the shadow than into the anima animus. Uh, our whole upbringing has taught us that we are not 100% pure gold, but there is no such moral education as regards the animus and anima, and we are so used to men having irrational moods and women fixed irrational opinions that we even doubt if we are meddling too much in the nature itself by by awakening these things, it would be better to let, be left asleep, which is not really cool idea. And when we try to become conscious of them, okay, so of course it's uncomfortable. When we are convinced that the projection caused by the animus or anima are, are better dissolved, so that we may let uh, to see reality as it is, we are treading a new path and the moral and the intellectual uh, of that path that is required to resolve these projections is, is terrific and terrifying. The child prejudice that we know what we think has to be entirely overcome without we know ourselves. Well, that's a huge loss. For every gain in for psyche, it's a loss to the ego. So that's just kind of like lore. And we have to move into an entirely new world of psychological experience. So the collective unconscious is at the base, then we have our own personal unconscious, and you know, so we're talking like the size of the universe. There is so much material and it's so fascinating. So you'll never be bored by exploring this. Sometimes it's a little crazy making. But if we observe and we make, uh, and of course the dreams are always uh, kind of our instructions, you know, our messages, and uh, we are not uh, trying to destroy one another as a result, but we're beginning to understand. So when that opinion comes up and you're absolutely right no matter what, but you're forgotten to relate, nobody cares about your opinion. The message may be right, but the, but the giving of the message is wrong because it's brutal. It has no feeling in it. So who cares if you're right? And that's very important. And we'll swear. We'll fight to the to the death. But if we just said, wait a second, where did I get such strong? How could anybody be that right? And then we start to understand, oh, no, man. You know, the animus has, that's the male within the woman, okay? And has positive and negative, the same with the animal. Now, I don't think these things are so cut and clear. I'm sure Jung, 100 years later, would be refining them more. But it's a good start. So, till next week, au revoir.